What's going on guys? It's Nick here, back in the video. Draft season's basically here, so I figured it'd be a good idea to take a look at my rankings, see who has changed the most recently. I'll be using my half PPR rankings for this, but obviously if someone drops, let's say, half a round in half PPR, they're not going up in other formats. So it will be different how much people rise or fall in like half PPR, full PPR standard. The point is, if these players are going up in one, they're going up and the other, if they're going down, they're still going down. The other ones, it's just different degrees. Also, when I say like 312, that means round three, pick 12. Just want to make sure we're clear on that. So like 411 means round four, pick 11. So first up, we've got Nick Chubb. He's only up two spots, but it was two spots in round one. So that's still a decent rise. I now have him at 109. So round one, pick nine. Uh, I don't really think I need to sell you on Nick Chubb. I think everyone here knows that. I like him. I think everyone else kind of likes him this season, but I wanted to mention him uh, because I moved him ahead of Stefan Diggs and AJ Brown in round one. Um, I think a lot of people have asked me about where to kind of take him in round one. So again, my answer is pick nine overall. Uh, and my answer is also yes to all the people who are like, you know, I really like Nick Chubb. I want to take him a little bit higher than you have him ranked um, just to keep your options open. You know, uh, a lot of people just don't feel totally comfortable starting off with even Kelsey, but like a wide receiver in round one, just because it kind of closes off a few different build types. Take him. Even if it's like one or two spots ahead of where I have him ranked, I think Chubb's a great pick. Then you take him there. Um, Again, just kind of alluding to what I was saying before or talking about what I was alluding to before, before I guess. Um, by closing off, I mean like some people are just a little bit scared that if you take a wide receiver end of round one, let's say at the wraparound into the beginning of round two, it's also not that great for running back because maybe Chubb goes off the board. Maybe the player we're going to talk about in a second goes off the board. And so you're like, ooh, don't let running back again. So you go with wide receiver because now you don't have an option for really quarterback or tight end. So now you have two wide receivers. Then what if you get to like the late third round and again, there's not great options at, at those positions. You're like, okay, well, now I have to take another wide receiver. And you start just taking wide receivers. And you're like, ah, I have too many in this position. And so by taking Chubb, even if he's really close to these other wide receivers, it just opens up hero RB if you really need to go with a lot of wide receivers. Um, it opens up the possibility for even like a double running back start and then completely abandoning running back. Um, it just opens up all different build types besides RB0. And many of you don't even want to do RB0 Anyway, so yeah, great pick in that mid to late first round, any format. Uh, running back I was alluding to before with um, saying you could pair Chubb and this player is Saquon. He's up seven spots over the last month, uh, now going or now ranked at pick 112, um, right where he goes basically on all sides. So I could have even said ADP there. I think his ADP is like 11.6 or something like that when you combine everything, but around the one two turn. Um, and I was thinking about turn picks the other day because some of you asked what my favorite spot of the draft is to draft. Um, I still think it's a top three pick, maybe top four pick. Um, but I was thinking about the late first round and I was like, you know, the late first round also isn't bad. I think this is a year where um, some years there's just dominance at the top and you need that. Some years it really is back heavy to where it's like there's so many similar picks that you just really want to be last and grab two. Um I think this year is actually a very even year where, you know, you're not going to win or lose your league because you got pick two versus pick seven versus pick 12. You can build a very, very strong team from any point in the draft. So I really wouldn't worry too much about what pick you get. But I was thinking about the last pick or like, you know, one of the last two picks in a 12 team league. And I was like, you know, people that have that pick have the opportunity potentially to get Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley. 
And that opens up so much upside. Like, especially what if Mark Andrews fell to you at like the three, four turn? You pair that with some wide receivers, like in round four, five, six, you get wide receivers. Maybe round five, a really good quarterback is there. It's like it just opens up a very, very strong build. And so if you can get that, you can get Chubb and Saquon at that turn. I think it's a really good start. Uh, but yeah, I moved him up, obviously, because the contract situation is completely resolved now. Um, just, you know, understanding that once that was out of the way, it's going to be a good offense. He's going to be the focal point of the offense, you know, with Darren Waller there, obviously, as well. But focal point of the passing offense uh, plus running offense. When you just combine all the touches he's going to get, it's going to crush everyone else on this team. Uh, and you look at the depth chart for running backs, there's no one. I mean, there's no real talent behind him. Locked in workload. Huge ceiling. Loving this year. A little bit later, uh, Debo Samuel dropped him down three spots to pick 36. So that's the 312. Um, for a number of reasons, I would say, uh, like, not talent. I would say, like, I love Debo as a player. I think he's more talented than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, I would just say it's, like, situation, right? You start looking at that pick. And I was just getting a little bit hesitant not having him at the turn. Because where I have someone ranked, right? 312. Well, that means the earliest you should be drafting him is 312, meaning that many times if you're using the rankings and you get him, you're probably getting him at like 402, 403, somewhere in that sort of range. Um, but yeah, it's like they've got Ayuk, who's apparently taken a really big step this offseason, having a really good year. Um, that's pretty high target competition. But then you add on Christian McCaffrey, you add on George Kittle, and you're like, what is the ceiling that everyone's healthy? And it's sort of tough to see it in round three. If he was going in round five, round six, like Brandon Ayuk is, you get that, right? There's a lot less opportunity cost every single round you advance, especially past round three. The top two rounds are definitely the highest, but round three still has a very high opportunity cost. And so by taking him where I had him ranked, I wasn't in love with it. I thought there were just very few outs at that point, needed to be efficient, needed to stay healthy, uh, needed to have a really, really strong season, and needed basically Ayuk not to break out. And I think because I kind of think Ayuk's going to have a breakout season, it doesn't feel like there's enough volume to rank him in the mid-third, so we're dropping him down to the late third, and you'll probably end up getting him in the fourth if you use the rankings. Next up, Damian Pierce up around to pick 46. Uh, that's the 410. It'll surprise no one that I like Damian Pierce. I loved him last season, liked him all this year. Um, but I feel like I keep moving him a little bit higher because I keep looking at the projection. I'm like, yeah, he could go over this like pretty easily. You know, that's where I fiddle around with things sometimes. You know, I see some hype and I'm like, all right, you know, let's do a deep dive into these projections. And I, I did. I looked at his projection. I'm like, you know, there's plenty of room to go up. And so I bumped him up a little bit more. He had 250 touches last season while missing, you know, the final month of the year on a Houston team that won once in games that he was playing in. Like, Pierce is a 20-touch running back. And when you start to wrap your head around that, like he had more than 20 touches per game last season. I think that can expand this year, but should be around that number. 20 touches per game. And you think about, okay, who's going around him? It's like Aaron Jones isn't a 20-touch running back, and he goes around earlier. Miles Sanders could be, but we don't really know. Alexander Madison could be, but I sort of doubt it. Uh, Cam Akers could be, but... I kind of doubt it with him as well. It's like you walk through running backs in a general range around where Damian Pierce is going, and you're like, none of these dudes are 20-touch running backs because that's hard. It's really hard to command 20 touches in the NFL every week. And yeah, I understand that, like, well, he's on a bad team, and that's why he's going further down. But 20 touches is 20 touches. Like, you're still getting a locked-in workload, even if you are extremely inefficient with those touches 
that's a lot. And that gives you a high floor and a high ceiling. And I looked at the projection as well. I was like, okay, am I over-projecting the touchdowns? I had him projected to score 5.7 rushing touchdowns. Right now, like with raising him in the rankings, projected to score 5.7 rushing touchdowns. That's what he was on pace for last season on offense that was definitely worse than it will be this year. So, you know, I think he's a very strong pick in a redraft league in the late fourth round. I don't know the exact pick on underdog. I want to say it's pick 67, 68. Phenomenal pick there. I keep taking him in that spot. But yeah, no matter what the format is, uh, I had to move him up. He's a great pick. Uh, Darren Waller also up almost around 11 spots to pick 62. Uh, But honestly, before I hit record, I did it. So I was kind of thinking about this. Um, That's a 602, by the way, early sixth round. Um, Before I hit record, I was um, thinking about where I had him ranked. And I was going to tell you that I have him just behind Pitts. So ahead of Kittle, ahead of Dallas Goddard, um, basically because... We don't even know the ceiling. Like, we know the floor is locked in. He's going to get a ton of targets. But we don't know his true ceiling, and I feel like that's really exciting with Darren Waller. But what I'm expecting is around 100 targets this season. And even looking at the projection before making this, I saw 98. And I'm like, okay, that's very reasonable to expect. And it was putting him one point behind Kyle Pitts as a tight end five at 98 projected targets. And so I'm thinking about it. I'm like, no, we're going to do it. I gave him the 100 targets. That was enough to bump him up over Kyle Pitts. It's barely, but at this point, I just feel so strongly about it. Um, We know that the passing volume is going to be way higher for the Giants than it is for the Falcons. Um, I honestly trust the Giants offensive coordinator a little bit more. And again, we don't know the true ceiling of Darren Waller. Like we know that Kyle Pitts has to compete with Bijan, has to compete with Drake London on a low volume offense. We know that's the case. Waller, I mean, he could legitimately dominate the target share. Like, he could win it, but he could also dominate it. You know what I'm saying there? Like, with with London and Bijan on the Falcons, I don't think Kyle Pitts can dominate those two in target share. But would anyone be shocked if Waller goes out there and just starts commanding, like, double-digit targets every single week, being used as a wide receiver one, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's what he was doing before he got hurt. Now he was brought in to be that guy because they don't have a wide receiver one. Yeah, I guess that made a little bit of sense. And all throughout camp, they were telling us that he was already dominating the targets. So yeah, you'd think it would transition into the season. So I love him. Um, Again, I was going to tell you he's fifth. He's fourth at this point. I bumped him up right before doing the video. Uh, James Cook also bumped up 20 spots over the last month. Uh, up to pick 76. That's the 704. Also, this is when I keep saying those for a 12-team league. Um, another camp riser. Uh, and actually, keep changing up the video here. I, I was going to talk about Damian Harris later in the video. Um, he's down 13 spots to pick 136. That's the 1204. Let's just talk about them both together. Um, I think that makes a little bit more sense. So basically, I moved James Cook up because Every single report, like whether you're you're talking about a beat reporter, um, the players on the team, uh, the actual team themselves, every single one is saying James Cook is the running back one, that Harris and Murray are competing for that number two spot. And so I'm looking at that like, okay, I mean, I'm not drafting Damian Harris in leagues if he's competing with Latavius Murray, a person that we always brush off being like, oh, it's Latavius Murray. Then he goes out there. He has a few receptions. He does good in pass protection. He doesn't get hurt. He does fine enough on the ground. Coaches love him. And they end up throwing him out there. And we're like, oh, yeah, like this happens every single time. Maybe we should have trusted that they would actually use him. Um, so I don't really want to 
you know, play with Harris here, especially with Harris's new injury. And so I bumped down Harris. I give most of that to Latavius Murray. Fine. But then you think about it more and you're like, okay, so James Cook is an explosive player. He is phenomenal in the receiving game. He had no role in, like inside the 10-yard line last season, but Singletary is gone. And so if there's even a chance he's going to get a few of those carries, that's awesome. On an explosive offense, so not only is he explosive, the offense is explosive. On a very high-scoring offense, it's like you start checking all these boxes and you're like, what? Is everyone scared he's only going to run for like one touchdown and that's why he's so low? Like, give him six or seven touchdowns and this dude is incredible in fantasy. And so I just started thinking about that and I'm like, there's no way I can have him even close to ADP. I, I really just need to stay ahead of ADP on James Cook because I want you guys to draft him in as many leagues as possible. And again, going back to Harris, it's like the opposite. It's like I, if he's fighting with Murray, if he's already injured, if he's not even a player I was like super pumped with to begin with, I don't want you guys getting him. So I think I'm two rounds behind ADP now. I'm going to stay that way. Uh, sticking with the same team, a lot of Buffalo Bills changes uh, recently. Gabe Davis, I finally moved him up about eight spots to pick 82. That's a 710. Um, bumped him up a little bit because number one, he's having a great camp. Uh, he seems to have also improved in the offseason. That was one thing I was concerned with. Uh, if you look at the research that Matt Harmon does over receptionperception.com, um, he's kind of talked about how like Gabe Davis wasn't a phenomenal route runner coming out of college. Um, he never really proved that he's expanded in that area in his first two seasons. And so I've been hesitant to really predict that he will because how do you do that, right? How do you just say, oh, yep, Year three, he's definitely going to get better at running routes. Like, we just don't know that. And a lot of times I want to see it in a player first. Um, but I think I've seen enough from reports out of camp to be like, okay, even if he's not amazing at running routes, he's probably good enough at this point and, like, improved enough to where things can get better. And then I thought about it more, and it's like, okay, well, also no one's stepping up behind Gabe, right? They've got Shakir in there. He, he was, like, fine in, like, I think it was OTAs, but... He hasn't really done a whole lot, and while that's probably just Kincaid is really stepping into that kind of slot role, none of their backups have done enough to be like, okay, well, Gabe's role is obviously locked in. He ran like a billion routes last season. That's going to continue this year. You think about how much he talked about the high ankle sprain last season and how much we know historically high ankle sprains are the worst. They really just derail your season. He talked about that being like, yeah, I mean, obviously it was terrible trying to come back from that. It was like obviously painful, but it just impacted him. He was never 100%. And so you think about that and you're like, okay, like... Even moving him up a tad ahead of ADP, I have him as a wide receiver 38. And last season, with him being worse, reportedly a worse player because he's gotten better in the offseason, with this high ankle sprain early in the season, he was 35th in points per game. Those Aren't those the player that I always talk about like going all in on, right? And so it's like, I don't know, I think I've just been too low on him because it's like great quarterback, great offense, explosive, high weekly upside player who even last season in what it was a down year, right? Was a worse player, suffered through injury, outperformed his current ADP. Like those are the players we should be in on. And so moved him up. I think he's like not necessarily a target for me right now, but someone that I'm definitely happy getting to. Uh, DeAndre Swift, opposite. Uh, down 14 spots uh, to pick 97. That is the 901. Uh, I was already behind ADP. I just wanted to make it, make sure like no one gets him. Um, and I... I get the one out is that Penny doesn't make the team. And it's an out that I think people aren't fully accounting for. Like, there's a realistic chance that Rashad Penny does not make the team as they roll with Swift, Gainwell, Boston Scott, uh, Trey Sermon, and then might have someone else. I mean, they'd only activate three of them each week, but might have someone else as well. But point being, 
that he's like kind of out of the rotation. And if that happens, this take is going to be really, really bad, right? But I don't think it will. I think Penny's kind of proven that he's a good enough running back to where if he can stay healthy and they're not going to overload him with touches, so he should have a better chance of staying healthy. If he can, he's going to be a very important piece of this offense, someone they can give like 10 carries to each week. And he can produce really efficiently on those carries, but they just won't overload him. I think maybe people look at that, I don't know, and they like kind of disregard Gainwell, and they're like, well, Swift's going to be involved in the receiving game, and he's going to get carries, and maybe he's using the goal line. It's like, I get liking that possibility, and it could happen, but this is at best a three running back committee. They are not going to feature running backs. It's going to be a three running back committee. Uh, Swift in camp is last among the five running backs in carries. They're not using him as running back. They're using him in the receiving game. And you're like, oh, okay, well, we like that in fantasy, right? Well, the problem is we like it on other teams, not on the Eagles. Like, they don't throw to the running backs that much, and that's not going to change this season. They had good pass-catching backs in the past. They're just they're not going to throw to the running backs given how they run the offense, who they have, Devonta Smith, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard. They don't need to throw to running backs when they have those three, plus a hypermobile quarterback. It's not going to change. Like, they're not going to get many targets to Swift. Only the Bears threw the running backs last, last season. That is not something that you really want to be at the bottom of the list with with the Bears. So I genuinely think just with like how much they clearly like Gainwell uh, and like are clearly going to use him in like highly important situations this season. And just given how good I think Penny is, I think he makes the team. I think he gets a, a good workload on the ground. It's like, how do you combine all of that with all the other players they have in this offense and think that Swift is some like spectacular pick like, it really just feels like you're hoping for an injury at that point. You know, round seven is not where you, like, speculate on hopefully an injury. Like, he goes 10 picks before James Cook. We just talked about how James Cook is the unquestioned lead back of the Buffalo Bills. How does that make any sense? Like, the potential number three running back on the Eagles is going 10 picks before the number one running back on the Bills. Come on. James Cook is a way better pick. Uh, and then finally... Kadarius Tony uh, down 41 picks to pick 119. That is the 10-11. I'm now two rounds behind ADP. I will stay two rounds behind ADP. Um, obviously, this is because of the injury, but it's more because of what has happened because of the injury. And I don't think ADP has caught up with it enough yet. Um, and I think people think that it's like, okay, he's doing this because he thinks he's going to miss like the first month of the year, that he's going to miss so much time. He can't really get healthy after that. Uh, no, like I would have him ranked here even if he was healthy in week one, which is a possibility that he's out there in week one. Um, I dropped him here because he's going to miss most or all of camp in a year where he needed to develop. You know, we talked about how Gabe Davis is having a great camp, a great offseason. Seems like he's kind of taken a step forward in route running. I wanted to be able to say the same with Tony because he's such an amazing player with the ball in his hands. But if you're not commanding targets and you're forcing Kansas City to design you five or six looks a game, that caps your ceiling. And it gives you a scary low floor in weeks that they're not designing looks because you can't command them on your own. And so I was hoping this offseason he would get all these reps in camp and they'd be like, yeah, he's commanding targets. But if he's going to miss most or all of camp, how am I supposed to know that at this point? Sky Moore's having a great camp. Rasheed Rice, you know, the rookie they took in the second round this year, he's reportedly doing really well. A um, little bit banged up at one point, but it seems like he's going to be pretty decent this season. Uh, people are high on Richie James. People really like Justin Ross. For those of you who are in super deep leagues, He's doing really well. He's got a lot of upside. It's like you start scrolling through all the names and you're like, do we really think Tony is just breaking out this season? No, I think he's going far too early. Had to crater him in the rankings. So those are the biggest changes I've made to the rankings recently. If you want to see exactly where I have everyone ranked for every single scoring format, including now three wide receiver leagues. So I have separate rankings for 
half PPR leagues, let's say, as an example, with two starting wide receivers and then another set of rankings for three. Plus, you could use the custom rankings to do that on your own. But on the site now has both of those, thefantasyfootballadvice.com. And if you want to see all those rankings for free, all you got to do is check out the underdog promo in the description box down below. Minimum $10 deposit into your first underdog account with promo code FFA. That's going to get you all of my rankings the following morning. It's that easy. So that'll do it for this one. Hope you all did enjoy. If you did, how about hitting the like button and how about subscribe to the channel if you're new here. Thanks for watching.